Welcome back. And our first question says, the fourth commandment tells us to rest. Why do we stress worship? Well, the fourth commandment actually says, remember this happened to keep it holy. And then it says you shouldn't work. But it actually doesn't tell us to rest. I mean, if we, if we all took sleeping pills right before sunset on Friday and didn't wake up till, uh, till the end of Sabbath on Sabbath, have we kept the Sabbath holy? So, so the idea of rest, though, is, is, is really about worship. It's about resting from our labors or our distractions or the busyness or the burdens of life, and we rest in the Lord. So it really is about keeping ourselves holy in a, in a uh, time frame, uh, commitment and, and with the Lord. And it can be in nature, it can be at church, it can be with uh, family and friends, but it really is about re- refocusing our attention on, on the Lord. That's what it's about. My question is in reference to John 6.58, knowing that there are two deaths, can you please give your thoughts as to which death is referred to and uh, which, which death Jesus is referring to when he says that the forefathers ate manna and are dead. Then he goes on to say, whoever eats this bread shall live. So Jesus is contrasting, you know the statement, uh, your forefathers ate manna in the desert and died, and uh, whoever eats the bread uh, that I bring, the bread of heaven, will, will never die. And so he's contrasting the literal, physical bread that they fed their bodies with the application of what it represented. The manna from heaven represented Jesus, the word made flesh that we talked about in class today. And though they gave physical nutrients to their bodies, their bodies still aged and died. But those who take in the eternal word, the truth, of, and have their characters transformed will not die. Their bodies might fail, but they will have eternal life. And, and Jesus makes the distinction between the sleep death and the death that's wages of sin. And so that's all he's doing there. In your Q&A, you mentioned Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. I have always been unclear regarding the meaning, uh, you, sh- uh, you shall bruise his heel. I understood that he shall bruise your head. What that means, that Jesus will destroy Satan. But what does the bruised heel mean? That Jesus couldn't accomplish it without Jesus becoming human and going through the very painful bruising process that he went through. And he will carry in his body for all eternity scars in his hands and feet and side. He was actually bruised or injured uh, uh, to, to achieve the outcome of crushing sin and Satan. Many people with an imperial imposed law view seem to express sincere affection for God. Do you think this stems from the apparent resolution of their fear of God through rule-keeping appeasement behavior? I'm going to take your question, sincere affection for God. Literally, that these who are, I think there could be people doing what you say and appear to be sincere, but we'll take the actual sincere affection for God group. And the answer then to your question is no. The sincere affection to God group that are, are, have an imperial law view would very much like my grandchildren or other small children. Uh, and if you've had small children, you know that when you set rules for your small children, they will often do many of them because it's a rule, but they really love you. They really love and appreciate you. Their sincerity and their love for you is not contrived or based off of some legal rule-keeping. Okay, why? Because they personally know you and they've experienced your goodness, your loyalty, your faithfulness, your reliability, your affection to them. And so the love is genuine, but their understanding of the purpose of the rule has not matured. Now, as they grow up, like brushing their teeth, like not playing in the street, any rule a parent says for them, sets for them, as they grow up, hopefully the rule goes away because it's written on their heart 
and they brush their teeth because it makes such good sense and they want to be healthy and they want to live in harmony with the laws of health. They don't need a rule to do it anymore. And they look back on mom and dad and they have even more love for mom and dad for having such rules when they were children to keep them healthy. But if they only have rules authoritarianly enforced over them without reason that make no sense to them, as they grow into their autonomy and God-given individuality, there will often be rebellion. And that's where the breakdown comes. And this is where a lot of kids end up leaving church. Well, why do I have to? Because God says so. Okay, but why does God say so? Because the Bible says so. Yeah, but why? It's the law. Have you ever had these answers? And they're not satisfying. They're not satisfying at all, and they will lead to rebellion. And Ellen White actually describes that as well. Those who uh, keep the law of God out of obligation merely do not obey. In fact, uh, the rebellion simmers under the surface, waiting to, to burst out, she describes. And so I, I think the genuine love is, or, uh, for the sincere are because they really know God personally, but they haven't yet matured in there. So these are the immature Christians Paul talks about in Hebrews chapter 5 that are new to the faith or new in their journey, and they haven't matured yet to actually understand what genuine righteousness is. And he says that in Hebrews 5 and 6, that they're not acquainted with righteousness yet. They're still teaching the elementary teachings, and they should be on, on meat, but they're still on milk. But that they're still of the faith. They're not in rebellion. Do you have some suggestions to help, please? Many of my friends are still struggling with depression, in feeling that they no longer have joy in their life as a result of the after-effects of the abuse from government, lockdowns, discrimination, loss of friends, family, work, etc. Many of these are not Christian, but recognize two forces in the world. We're highly successful, self-motivated people who now struggle with life. You know what this is referring to, right? Yes. Okay. I think, I think this is a, a wonderful question, and it actually gives a great opportunity to have some heart conversations. Uh, and this is why the Lord allows these things to happen, by the way. What's the Bible say about treasures and hearts? Where your treasure is? Okay. And so many people, and I, and I myself, I grew up in a country where, where I was proud to be an American. You know, those patriotic songs. And, and I served in the military for eight years and very proud to wear the uniform. And, and there's a certain heart affection I had for, for my country. You know, it was God, you know, country, family, all these different really good things. And you develop this, this affection for your country. And it's been painful to see my country betray the principles of liberty that I've always understood it stood for. That, that breaks your heart. I've also personally had my personal part of my identity formed around being a doctor. And the historical position of a doctor has always been one of high ethical and moral behavior of other-centeredness. First, do no harm, um, self-sacrifice, and so forth. And that was quite painful to see how the medical community over the last several years became used as, as coercive operatives to, to a, a bludgeon, abuse, and, and, and hurt people, and even obfuscate truth and fraudulently put out propaganda. And I've documented this before, so I won't go into it again. Uh, So my point is, how does it connect to this question? 
our heart's affections, where we draw a sense of well-being, a sense of, 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 of identity, a sense of security, makes us feel um, part of something more than ourselves, can make us feel safe and whole. If it's coming from systems of the world, it needs to be cut away, circumstances of the heart. Our true security has to come in our relationship with Jesus Christ. In the things of heaven. My kingdom is not of this world. Look at Jesus as our representative and example. He didn't have a pillow to lay his head. Every human support was cut away. And you look at many of his followers through history have had similar trials and tribulations where the so-called supports of this world were cut away. And if our internal state of well-being, purpose, mission, validation, identity are based on the systems of this world, then when they are cut away, we grieve. We're at a loss. And so I would say these are very legitimate conversations to have, and you can have these conversations with your friends and say, tell me about your grief. Tell me why you're hurting. What's that all about? Where is your security coming from? Do you feel betrayed? Uh, Some people have had the same because they felt betrayed by their church. The church that they've been a member of their whole life, baptized into, faithful tithe paying, when they needed a letter from their church for their employer, their church would not provide one. And they felt betrayed and let down. I know people. Same thing. Our security should not be in our government, our job, our career, our professional society, or our denomination. Look 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 at Paul. Look at Peter. Who was it that was actually locked Peter into prison? Was it the Romans hunting Peter down? Who was it? It was his denominational church. It was the Jewish religious authorities that were wanting to put them. No, our security cannot be in our organized systems. It has to be in Jesus Christ. Is there a fear that is healthy? Example, we come face to face with a bear. Fear. Uh, not entering a busy street, fear of getting ran over. Uh, I read your blogs on fear and know the Bible says to fear not like 365 times. Um, so you come face to face to the bear in the Garden of Eden before Adam's fall. Will, you, will there be fear? No. If you read Isaiah and it talks about the lion and the lamb, when we meet the lion and the bear and the earth made new, will there be fear? No. No. Fear is part of the infection of sin. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, they ran and hid because they were afraid. In this world, there is fear and we all struggle with it. Perfect love casts out fear. And Revelation 12 describes the people ready for translation. These are they who do not love their life so much as to shrink from death. Wow. Think that through. And the natural inclination of fear is survival. Me first. Protect me. I'm afraid what's going to happen to me. Not just physical death. Think about the, most of us have really not been faced with a gun to the head. Some, some people have, but most of us don't face the, a true, uh, you're going to be executed if you don't uh, do this. We face other threats. You're going to lose your job. You're going to be gossiped about. You'll be, you'll be removed from your position as elder in the church. Lose your house, lose your family. Lose your house. Because of family, because of all that. Uh, and in some parts of the world, over the last several years, mm-hmm. governments threatened to take children from family, from parents. Mm-hmm. And that's in first world countries. That's right. That's in North America, north of the border. 
I don't want to say what country that was. <laughs> In case you don't know geography, you don't know. <laughs> but no, I don't think there's actually healthy fear. I don't think Adam and Eve had any fear in Eden. I think um, what, what, what is healthy is what you might call alertness. A healthy alertness, but not fear. There's no fear. In the sense of terror and anxiety and worry and dread. If you want to use the old English, fear is an awe and admiration, respect. Yes, of course. You want to use that, that definition. Okay. Um, I live down the street from Allen, Mass, uh, Mass... Massachusetts, I guess, um, shooting that occurred last week. How do I share the truth about a God of... No, that would be Allen, Texas. Allen, Texas, mass, mass shooting last week. Okay, uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. How do I share the truth about a God of love amidst the ho- horrible tragedy? Any attempt on my part would feel fruitless and almost insensitive to do so. I understand that God is in control of what he is in control of, but the utter grief and pain that has stricken the families affected by these deaths, just how could I speak to them of God's love amidst the terrible pain? I imagine the bitterness and anger towards God. Well, first off, you don't at this time. The, 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 the action at this time is to comfort yes. and to sit quiet yes. with them. It's not a time for preaching. Yes. It's not a time for exegesis. It's not a time for biblical indoctrination or any type of exploration of these things. It's the time. And you can't have that conversation with somebody with that level of grief if you don't know them personally. They have to know that you love them before you can counsel them. Now, that doesn't mean there may not be a place and a time for that. But you have to be asking the Holy Spirit to give you the insight and wisdom. When is the time to have this conversation? So what they need is empathy. They need compassion. They need encouragement. They need support. And then you can have conversations. But in the middle of this grief, sometimes they just need to express their anger. I'm so mad at God. And if somebody said this to me, I'd say, I hope you go and tell him. I hope you go and tell him. If you want to give him a piece of your mind, then please go do so. What would God want? If you had a child who was angry at you, parent, for whatever reason, because we're fallible, it might be legitimate, but let's say it's illegitimate. It's, you didn't done anything, but they're really angry at you still. What would you want for them to do? Tell you. Wouldn't you want them to come tell you? Yes. This is what God wants. So encourage him. I hope you're telling him. Tell him. Let it out. You see David does this in the Psalms. He'll express frustration and anger and so forth. Because when you have that conversation with God, eventually you'll come to a point you've vented enough. <sighs> You're all worn out. <laughs> and then maybe you'll be able to listen to what the Lord's saying back to you. But if you're not comfortable, I'm never talking to him again. That's the worst thing you can do. Can you help in identifying the loud cry with the design law message? I think we're giving the loud cry. Come out of her, my people. Come out of this imperial legal law system with a God that you must be protected from, someone you have to have hide you from his wrath and anger. Um, I think the loud cry is come back to, to worship the creator, him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that in them is. It's a reality. It's a reality-based belief system that we have a sickness of heart and mind that our creator has provided remedy to heal if we'll simply trust him. And that remedy, of course, is Jesus Christ. 
It says, hasn't the end times fear served to resort to charms, potions, intoxicants, everything but the essential source of triumph to aid uh, the wilderness, like in 2 Kings uh, 18, Hezekiah removed the high places and so forth. I think you're exactly finding that. This is, this is very predictable. Again, if you understand design law, life becomes predictable. Just like I've said many times, you let go of this pen, how many can predict what will happen? <laughs> Do you have the gift of prophecy? You don't need to have to look in the future to know exactly what will happen if I let go of this because you understand how the law works. If you take God, the truth about him, out of society, out of the conversation, out of people's hearts and minds, there's only one predictable outcome. Debasement, corruption, division, selfishness, exploitation, abuse. It just gets worse. You can't get better without the truth of God and his kingdom and his spirit working. Does that make sense? It's very predictable. And so uh, what would come in is we remove God and we've taught evolutionary theory for generations in our schools that there is no God. It's predictable what's happening in our society in the world of the West. And what is happening, they want to believe in something. So lots of other gods are reemerging. I, th- I think Scott was telling me about a book. Uh, uh, what's the book called, Scott? Return of the Gods. The Return of the Gods. And uh, it just kind of goes through a history that when Christianity came to pre- preeminence in Western society, all the pagan gods of, of, of Rome and Europe were kind of pushed to the side and pushed out of society. But as Christianity has started to fade into the background, these pagan gods are reemerging again, okay? And, and one of the gods is the, is the earth worship god, and we see the green movement and the people worshiping the earth. Another is Ashtoreth, which is the god of fertility and sexual uh, perversity, and we see that in the, in the trans movement and, and what's going on with that. And, and you see these other gods, which are all inspired by some demon, some, one of Satan's uh, agents working to create a false system. Remember, truth and lies. And once you go down the false god lie, how many false gods are there? Yeah. <laughs> Again, this is what's happening. This is why in, in the pagan systems, they have this pantheon of multiple different gods for everything. And so, yeah, I think it's a predictability that's just what we're seeing in our society today. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that the demons don't have some supernatural power. We're told that they will perform various miracles that they're capable of performing. And for those who don't believe in the creator and the, and the way he's designed things, this is going to be enthralling and infatuating for them. Yeah. So that was the last question. Let's go ahead and close with prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you are the creator, the builder of reality. And we ask that your spirit again will uh, in, in, enlighten our minds, but fill us with your presence to seal us both intellectually and spiritually into your kingdom and your methods and your principles that we can reveal you faithfully in this world. We pray in your holy name. Amen.